Friends, join with me in prayer. Almighty God, we ask your blessing on this time, on this time of considering your word for us and understanding a little bit more of how we can approach you like those wise men so many years ago. Amen. For several years from high school and then after college into adulthood, I participated in mission trips to Mexico to build houses. I've shared about this with you before, and an interesting fact that some of you know already is that several folks for a few years from PCWS worked with the same organization called Amor Ministries. So we've been to the same camp before. And I traveled with uh, my church from California and folks from here went from Illinois all the way to the border. And in the early years of our trips with my church back home, we had a pretty small group and I coordinated our outdoor prepared meals. And over the years, I, I started making them a little bit more elaborate and probably a little more elaborate than they needed to be. Um, and over the years, this, it, it got worse. I mean, it got better in that the meals got more elaborate and, and tasted good, I hope, but it was sometimes a little unrealistic to accomplish preparing a several course meal in a very short period of time after the end of our workday. Especially this became true as our numbers of people on the trips increased. But I loved it. And I loved the challenge of the quick pace. I, I really felt very strongly that after a hard day of work, I wanted people to enjoy good food. Programmatically, however, I've decided that my approach wasn't the best one. Anyone setting foot in the kitchen during preparations had to be ready for a no-mercy, fast-paced environment. I cared more about getting the 50 or so people fed before it was too late than I cared about being nice. Many of my closest friends on these trips, they knew to stay away, and a few knew how to help or at least they were willing to put up with me and my, well, yelling. <laughs> I'm sure, though, that I left a lot of hurt feelings in the path. And that's something I think about every once in a while, and I always think about it with remorse. Like I said, many people just stayed out of the fray. But there was one man who was always wanting to help. He was a semi-retired marketing executive at the time and, and a very active business consultant. His kids had participated in the trips, and then he continued as a leader even after they had graduated. I'm convinced that part of how Bo has been successful in the business world is his inquisitiveness. Bo had no problem asking questions of anyone at any time. He wanted to know how things worked why things were done a certain way, and how to recreate them. This was true of everything, ranging from how we built the houses or the preparations for our trip, and, and yes, to my cooking. Bo would come into the kitchen in the middle of the craziness and ask me questions while, while I was throwing salt through the air, barking orders at the person cutting the peppers wrong. He would ask, how much salt was that? Or long are you cooking those pieces of chicken? Or why did you choose that type of meat? Approximately how many pounds of beef was that? 
he didn't seem to mind or even notice my cold responses and my quick answers and the questions they always kept coming. Finally, one night after dinner was prepared and all the people were eating and we were sitting down, Bo and I and a few others, Bo looked over at me and I could tell a question was coming before he could even ask it. I said, yes, Bo. He asked me a question about something I'd done earlier while cooking. And finally, with the pressure of getting the meal prepared out of my way, I was actually quite pleased to talk with him about what I had done and why I had done it. With the pressure off, the questions helped me to also process my otherwise instinctual practices in the kitchen. And I decided to be honest with Bo after that. I told him, Bo, I can't do this. While I'm cooking, I can't handle the questions, but I want to make you an offer. I'll come to your house and I'll cook with you and you can ask me whatever questions you'd like. He jumped at this. And what happened next was a beautiful thing. Over a period of weeks after one of those trips, I would visit Bo and he documented several of my recipes. He would measure the pinches. He would put a spoon right under my hand as I was about to drop something in and capture it and then measure it. He would keep track of how many times I said just a little bit more and what that meant. And he wrote down the steps that I followed, even though I didn't know I was taking those steps. Bo's questions and his attention to detail, but, but also his analysis and his ability to see the steps so that they could be reproduced and so that he could learn from them, this was all because Bo knew that he liked the outcome. This all started because he enjoyed the food, the different food that he was used to. He liked the outcome and he wanted to see how to get there. So many things in life are like this. We see the outcome. We see the end result. We see the product or the person or the look and we say, how did they do that? or even like a little child, I want that. Look at all the television shows or do-it-yourself websites or magazines. They're, they're trying to show us to, to debunk how to do things. And, and I'm, I'm convinced that many of these set completely unreasonable goals, but regardless, they're successful at getting our attention because they tap into our desire to create or our desire to see creations and to know how they're made. I've tried to look at the world through Bo's eyes, eyes that ask the questions that lead to the understanding of steps, questions that try and lead to the outcomes that I hope to duplicate. And again, I do think that most of us have the capacity to learn things this way in our lives. The question then becomes asking ourselves who we're going to follow. What outcomes do we want to duplicate? Our decisions become back-ended in a sense. We look to the outcome to decide who to follow. And when it comes to our faith, when it comes to following God and worshiping God in particular, I find it fascinating that one of the most dramatic examples of worship we have in the New Testament, one of the most dramatic visions of people sacrificing their own time, comfort, effort, and treasure to worship God comes in this morning's text that Rogers shared for us. 
in the most unsuspecting of ways, at least the least logical of ways, in a surprise outcome, we see worshipers in the form of these foreigners, followers of another religion or other traditions coming before Christ, coming before the Christ child and paying homage. These ancient acts of worship became the guide for the church, even today. Our denomination's constitution, the part we call the Book of Order, includes a whole section on worship. This is how it begins. Christian worship gives all glory and honor, praise and thanksgiving to the holy triune God. We are gathered in worship to glorify the God who is present and active among us. The Magi, the wise travelers from a foreign land, they modeled for us the giving of glory and praise to God. The God is and was present and active among us. But they also modeled something more than that. And to better understand what got them to this point of coming before Christ, we have to back up a little bit. We have to look at the Magi with bow's eyes and ask the questions. How did they get to this point? What are the steps that led them to understand who it was that they were worshiping? Because if we can understand their steps, if we can understand their pinches of salt and their splashes of lemon, then maybe we too can understand more of what it means to journey toward the Christ. We don't know a lot about these magi. Many stories try to fill in the blanks, but we don't know. We don't know how many there were. We don't know what they looked like. What we know is that they were wise people wise, learned people who had studied their history and their sacred texts. They knew enough to know that something was happening. They recognized that there was a sign or the possibility enough of a sign that they were willing to get up and go. This leads to the next observation. They may have been scholars reading the texts, learning about history, but they were not so absorbed in the history that they missed what was going on around them. They were knowledgeable, but they didn't let their knowledge keep them from experiencing the world around them. It's like cooks who get hung up on the steps and fail to feel and experience the food or to remember their guests. And these wise people could have missed the signs around them with their noses buried in the books. They could have missed the signs that pointed them to go to a foreign land. My next observation for you is that once they saw the signs, they took action. They were willing to take some risk and literally get up and go, and go a long distance to see whether their instincts, their their observations, and their conclusions were correct. One author writes, they moved. They put their feet, or perhaps their camel's feet, in motion to follow this sign. They took a chance on being proven wrong or right. But they also recognized that they didn't have all the answers. They followed their knowledge and the sky and their intuition, and it led them to Jerusalem, as we've heard. This wasn't Bethlehem. 
And it was there in Jerusalem that they were willing to ask for directions. They asked for help. Granted, they ended up asking Herod for help, but even though they were asking the wrong person for help, they were still guided in the right direction. How interesting is that, right? They were willing to ask for help on the journey. And then, once they arrived, once they met Jesus and met his mother Mary, they bowed down. They brought what they had, and what they had was wonderful treasure. Whether it was what Jesus and Mary needed or not, it was what they had. And approaching Jesus and Mary, they were overwhelmed with joy, our text says. During Bible study this week, we looked at the fact that that phrasing, overwhelmed with joy, it would be better translated with a little bit more embellishment. They were overwhelmed with the greatest of overwhelming joys something like that, and they bring themselves before Christ. Our book of order defines us this very way. It reads, to be a Christian is to worship Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. These wise travelers were among the first to do exactly what we are called to do each day of our lives. Worship not just follow, not just gather in fellowship, but worship. But did you notice that the Magi didn't stay? They left. But when they left, when they returned to the unsafe world from which they came, they went with eyes that had seen the Christ. And they went with warning that they needed to be careful in the world a world that can distract us from what we've experienced. A world that, like Herod, wants to show us power other than God's abundant love and that wants to distract us from Christ's overwhelming love for humanity. And having experienced Jesus, having encountered the Christ, having worshipped God incarnate, they again needed help, this time in the form of a dream. They needed help because they were still in danger. They needed help to adjust their path, to go home by another road. Examining these magi, examining their journey and the steps they took that led them to Jesus and Mary, and asking the how and the why questions can guide us too, as we seek to have an epiphany, an an experience of encountering Christ in our own lives. Each of these observations that I've made about these wise people can guide us this year and throughout our lives. We too can study. We can study scripture. We can learn about it, research, and talk about it. We can discover what signs we should be looking for and how Christ calls us to live out love. We also need to look up from our books and look around us. We need to look for ways to practice love in the world right now, not just in scripture or in history, but now in our homes in our workplaces and schools, in our community, and in our society, in our country and our world. All of these areas that are in need, in need of love. By doing these together, studying and looking, we become tuned towards seeing the ways that the ancient words of scripture can guide us 
and how we engage with the world around us. And we recognize again and anew that we're on a journey. I talk about this all the time, that like the Magi, we're on a journey and we're not on the journey alone. We rely on one another. You know, we don't know how many wise people there were at that first visit. We know there were many and there were women and not just men. But what we do know is that they were together, helping one another, guiding with one another. And they were willing to stop and ask for directions along the way. You know, if we all had our journey figured out, if any one of us had our journey figured out, we wouldn't need the church for sure and we wouldn't need one another. But as long as our journey is a journey toward Christ, we need others and we need to be willing to look in the wrong places sometimes like the Magi asking Herod for directions. And then we need to get back on the path again with one another. And then there's this piece that makes me smile a big broad smile. We need to be willing to experience the overwhelming joy We need to allow ourselves to come before Christ overwhelmed with overwhelming joy and to respond with our gifts, with whatever we have, with our gifts of our treasure, but also our gifts of our talents and our whole selves. According again to the Book of Order, the worship of the triune God is the center of our common life and our primary way of witness to the faith, hope, and love we have in Jesus Christ. You see, like the wise ones who visited Jesus, who worshiped Jesus, we are then called to walk away, to tell our story, to return by a different path, changed by our encounter with Christ, to go out ready to show our excitement out in the world, a world that is in need of overwhelming joy and love that come from God. We celebrate God's love for us when we shine that light and love into the darkness of the world. Friends, let's be like the wise travelers. Let's follow their steps. Let's experience the epiphany of Christ. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.